the Gaming Guru Podcast. Easy of the best gaming podcast in the world. Guru Baby. We are back now with our sexy new jingle. Yeah, and, um, hot stuff. And we've avoided spoiler season, I think, because by the time people hear this, most of the Game of Thrones spoilers will be done. Yeah, Avengers definitely. spoilers are now completely open completely season. Out, open season. What I really have liked is like the crossovers between like Avengers Endgame memes and Game of Thrones yeah. memes. Yeah, some really good uh, segues over there. Yeah, as, as disappointing as Game of Thrones has been, the meme game has been Oh, it's tight. been strong. It's yeah, been strong. Yeah, I think been... it's a good year for memes, like 2019, really. 2017 was where we sort of like like got our footing in, peaked. Yeah. It's really like hit a hit a new hit a new level for me. It's what's keeping me alive going through this season. And and I think that's that's always been the kind of like um, the one thing that can reconcile you through the dark stages is like yeah. the angrier people get it's almost as stronger the meme game <laughs> yeah it's true dude. so which which makes me wonder how good the memes would be if this was actually a satisfying season yeah like game if everyone was stoked they'd be like the memes would be like like thumb, great thumb, season thumb. awesome thumbs up let's make a new reddit thread about how good it was yeah because reddit threads complimenting things always do really well yeah t- <laughs> oh, all those upvotes um, cool. So this week, uh, in terms of the happenings around the world of gaming, I suppose the one thing that's in everybody's radar is the strange alliance between Sony and Microsoft. Um, that's not even secret. It's kind of this big public announcement that mm. uh, Sony and Microsoft would be essentially uh, partnering up the old, the old enemies to essentially help with what AI, cloud computing, that mm. sort of stuff. And you wonder if it's because of the big threat that Google has presented with, you know, the whole announcement a couple of weeks or months ago about the Stadia. Yeah, look, I, I also thought it was a bit of a bit of a strange one, but but at the same time, you know, Sony and Microsoft are such big corporations. It's not necessarily, uh, you know, Sony Entertainment or Sony Gaming. It's you know various different departments that can really benefit from each other's like R and D and resources. Um, in terms of uh, this partnership being like uh, in response to Google Stadia, I could see that too. I mean, Google's really strong in the cloud mm. computing realm, and that's kind of what Stadia is built on. And at the at the moment, I think Sony don't really have such a you know a strong foothold in that mm. in that area Not of that space. We know, but we know that they're doing a lot of secret stuff. You know? Exactly, but uh, we do know that Microsoft um, and the Azure platform. Um, have really put them on the map in terms of cloud computing. They just haven't really had the games to be able to showcase it. Yeah, yeah. I suppose that's why I'm wondering who really wins out mm. in this kind of partnership. Because, you know, on paper you go, if this is about AI and cloud computing, Sony, as far as we know, has nothing. Yeah. Um, and Microsoft, well, Xbox through Microsoft have a heck of a lot. And so it really feels like they would be handing kind of a lot of the deck over to to Sony who has very few cards to add to that deck you know yeah I mean one of the big um, the big sort of uh, 
like sale pitch points that came out around uh, Crackdown 3 was the use of Microsoft's huge new cloud computing technology, yeah. which could render, you know, that they spoke about having realistic building destruction in real time. Yeah. You know, that kind of massive upscaling of, um, of destruction, of environment design. Yeah. I mean, those are, you know, those are things that can be applied to, you know, many different uh, clients, applications, and they were really wanting to use that game to to uh, showcase what the technology could do. It just wasn't really the right yeah, yeah. game for that, um, as we sort of just wasn't found, good. Found it, yeah, it just was Crackdown Three. Yeah, <laughs> just is what it is, man. That's uh, although the hype was there, it just felt yeah. like it, it felt like almost. I I, I heard a, a good review where they said it felt like one of those games where because it had kind of been pushed out so many times over and over and over that what it you know, you can start tweaking and tweaking and, and all that, but eventually certain paradigms are reached yeah. where you're kind of going to even launch this game, A, in the genre that it is and the, the type of game that it's become and all that, it's going to look old. Mm. It's going to look like, you know, kind of like out of touch with what games are these days. And I think that's, you know, we spoke before about, you know, the risk of something like Half-Life 3 ever coming out. Part of it is the fact that like if Half-Life 3 came out now, who really wants a story-based yeah. first-person shooter? Like they don't really do that well. I'm I'm playing Rage at the moment, and it's it's essentially that problem. Um, we uh, I think we want to talk about Rage a little bit yeah. more later. <laughs> so so do you want to talk about some of the other new stuff? Yeah. So I mean, in uh, in closing that off, I think uh, Microsoft and Sony probably definitely see something like beneficial coming out of this coming out of this partnership. Um, uh, Microsoft so far hasn't really had the the games to display the technology mm. uh, that well, but maybe like a game isn't the best place to showcase it, and maybe there are other departments within Sony that can you know Fair that they can leverage off each other to to get there. So yeah, so um, the third piece of news I have is um, is it Julian uh, Julian probably butchered that. Tweeted sorry, he's a developer at Ubisoft, and he tweeted that they're working on a new Splinter Cell game. Okay. Hashtag Splinter Cell. So it wasn't necessarily an official announcement. Mm. It was a post made one by one of the developers, but then you know Ubisoft just embraced and said, "Oh, cool. I guess by the way, yeah, Splinter Cell." <laughs> yeah, like when we can either confirm and deny. That we can either confirm or deny that <laughs> the existence of yeah. a new Splinter Cell game. Uh, um, that's the sound of me going. Am I happy or am I not that there's a new Splinter Cell? Like it's not angry, but I'm not excited that there's a new Splinter Cell game coming. I mean, I enjoyed the the last ones, but not to the point where I'm going, Ermagerd, like cannot yeah. wait for the next one. It's like, it exists. I mean, in the genre of sort of like um, first person spy espionage tactic games, I mean, all we've... Oh, we've, that third person. Third usually, person. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, all we'd have would be uh, Metal Gear. Yeah. Sorry. And, and that's Hitman. kind of... Hitman. Hitman? Yeah, there, yeah. there's I enjoyed Hitman, one. the way it was done with the kind of like closed open world in the sense like you it was open world but in a kind of very small uh sort of um episodic sort of thing i really enjoyed that uh, maybe maybe they would go along that route um but yeah i just it's kind of like meh. like knowing ubisoft Happy though me. they like to lean on um the, the infrastructure they've built in like different departments yeah, and um, and developers like their you know their alert meters are yeah. pretty much all the same the uis are very similar they have to climb some sort of tall thing to explore the map further. yeah so, so ubisoft games like start to kind of blend into one another you know yeah. they're separated by i guess story perspective um 
but I, I, I'm, I'm worried that Splinter Cell is going to fall into one of those categories and just feel like, let's say, um, I don't know, like a like a modern day espionage Assassin's Creed. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the other kind of uh, Tom Clancy-esque type ones, you've got The Division, uh, which is your kind of looter shooter mm-hmm. thing. And then you've got uh, Wildlands, or they've announced a new one now. Um, but it's kind of like they're also sort of... Um, but the same sort of yeah, there's like a whole bunch of stuff going on in a big map and you kind of like go find things to do it's kind of like almost like a third person far cry top so let's say so let's say that splinter cell is like in early stages of development yeah. so it's probably in like a constant phase so we were probably looking at like um three or four years until we until we see a game um which means it'll probably arrive like in time for let's say towards the the beginning of like the PS5 oh, life cycle. If it's three years, then I certainly think so. So, yeah. so then, what would you want to see out of a new Splinter Cell game that would kind of like bring it to a modern audience on like a new console, new platform, but also set it apart from the other like Tom Clancy um, uh, titles that they have under their wing? See, what I always liked about you know the Splinter Cell games was the fact that like you were um, a was it Sam Fisher? Yeah. yeah. You were Sam Fisher and you were essentially like a James Bond. It was kind of like dropped in and basically have to take out an entire building or, you know, a compound or whatever by yourself, you know, or sometimes like with, with a partner and you were tagging guys and you're doing all the kind of headshots and then dragging bodies away, dug that sort of stuff. And so I want to see those sort of things maybe done on scale. So yeah. allow me the open world freedom to tackle the problems the way I want to do them. But not in this like running around a hub world finding sub side missions and like eh, I, I don't want that i want like collect want... 400 clipboards yeah exactly <laughs> you like you know get the clipboard. have those random trophies where Clip, you know yeah. like collect intel while you're on a mission and that enhances the story because it gives you like more details on characters but not because like hey if you collect all of these you unlock a new skin because yeah i don't care enough yeah i mean so i really i have fond memories of playing um, playing Tom Clancy's Splinter Cell. Mm. I mean, it was granted it was like a long time ago, but uh, well, the last one I played. But I really liked that, you know, uh, sort of like a closed-off puzzle-type arena, yeah. arena where you'll be climbing through here to take out this guy, so you can get the access card to go through this tunnel in order to get through there and open that door from that side. Mm. So you know what I mean? Like that's that like puzzle solving, and where you figure out like, shit, have I like backed myself into a corner here, and I can't get to that side? And, yeah let's reload like sort of roguelike uh, elements to it but maybe that uh, style of or genre of gameplay is kind of like done now yeah and it kind of goes back to now i'm going to segue to rage it, it kind of goes back to this idea that you've got developers um they can either take a risk and start a new ip and mm. all the difficulty that comes with it and often they're rewarded and oftentimes it's a it's a bit of a you know who cares because it's, it's hard to drum up hype for a title that no one has any background yeah. um and so they tend to lean on existing franchises fair enough i mean that's why we've got geez how many is 10 odd assassin's creeds and Mortal combats and all yeah. this stuff rather than creating something new and so you go but there are certain franchises where if you keep going to the well, they eventually they dilute themselves. You know, mm. people start getting tired like of an Assassin's Creed or a Call of Duty after a while. And so like they're asking for something new. But you wonder, there are actually some franchises that people aren't asking for. And I have to wonder that like, were people honestly, honestly hungry for Spinner Cell? And now I said I'm going to go on to Rage. 
who was asking for Rage 2? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'm sure people are asking, yeah. can we get an apocalyptic ID, you know, in-game shooter? Cool. And they're like, hey, we have Rage. Yeah. Can we have a different one? Like, can we have a new one? Rage 2. Exactly. <laughs> but they felt like they wanted Rage 2 and been playing it and it's the stuff that it is good at. So the gunplay and the graphics, yeah. amazing. The, I heard gunplay is great. But the stories, ob, the open world stuff's ob, the driving is ob, the story, it's just like, yeah, it, doesn't, lifeless. it doesn't really fit. So it's like almost like you've got this amazing combat system wishing it were in a better game. It's like kind yeah. of going like, hey, it's like, <laughs> it's the star player sitting on a shitty team and yeah. he's going like, oh man, if I don't need, like, got joined a different team, I'd be, you know, people would like me more. Yeah, it's like, well, from what I've heard, um, Rage 2 plays a little bit like uh, similar to like Far Cry or at least like open world Doom mm -hmm. in a way. Um, but with Far Cry, you know, all these NPCs that you interact with just have so much personality, yeah. backstory, dialogue that like you'll be on a mission with them and they'll keep like blurting out like these nuggets yeah. of, that just make you laugh in your in your seat. You know, there's not that kind of personality that's coming through in the world of yeah. you know Rage 2 and that's why I think a lot of People it's, might, you know, might hit like a threshold with, yeah. with certain people. It feels in a lot of way like it's Doom had sex with Borderlands, but the offspring got none of the charisma that comes with Borderlands. Mm. It's like literally just the open world and the brightness and all that with Doom's kind of like gunplay. And but, it's unfortunate because it, it feels in a lot of ways that, you know, developers are losing a bit of touch with like what, what do people actually want? You know, using Rage as an example, why... Why release a game that, I think the first one came out in 2011, so eight years later, as a sequel, when, let's be honest, you've got histories of, rebo of rebooting things. Mm. You could have just gone, cool, we're doing it again, Rage. And, and when you start the game up, Rage 2, they spend a lot of time trying to remind you of the story of the first one and trying to force feed you oh, really? into wow. how the first one ended and all that I was, stuff. I was thinking that maybe it would be one of those games that could like stand on its own, but, but it, it's really actually trying to push that it's connected to yeah. something else. Yeah, it spends the whole right. intro, which I sure. want to say is about 10 or 12 minutes, is like, it pushes you into reminding you like who the authority are and the bad guys and how it all ended last time and how this is like basically you know it's a typical empire strikes back moment you you know you dealt the first blow and now the authorities dealt back and so um there's that but you know i was using the example of having rebooted where like you take prey for example mm. prey one also left on a cliffhanger going you know get ready for prey two we'll answer all these questions you're like okay cool like let's do this and then prey came out and not connected, not same universe, literally the only thing in common, same same developer and same um, same title. Other than that, completely different world, different mechanics, different um, main bad guy that literally had nothing to do with each other. So I mean, they could have done something similar and people wouldn't felt this idea that like, are oh, you forcing this, this sequel that no one wanted? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if it would have made that much of a difference. Like, I don't know if Rage 1 was, like created that hunger you know what I mean? Um, you know, if we had to put a blanket over this sort of uh, out of touch developer thing, I mean, it can go a step further to being, to you know, what better example would be, would, would we have than like Bethesda being an out of touch publisher? Like they've had a very rocky like last yeah, two yeah. years. I think the last good year they had was well, like 2016. Oh, well, let's, let's take, um, we spoke about the last time, Fallout yeah. 76. Um, and you go, cool, is that what people are asking for? Are they asking for an always online, 
um, multiplayer Fallout multiplayer, experience. Fallout. People have been. Have they? Have they been for a long MMO time. You know? Like people wanted um, a Fallout MMO because Fallout had all that personality. Mm. It had that world building. You had uh, colorful NPCs. It just the execution just kind yeah. of like really undercut the sales pitch. For, for me, it reminded really, me of really a question: did. going in an MMO, can an MMO exist without NPCs? Because that was the one thing. It sounded like they wanted to create Fallout with like everything is everything everyone is a player there are no npcs it's not like um, i th- to be honest i just don't think they wanted to spend the budget on voice acting or okay. getting people in studio yeah. or book you know what i mean like they wanted to use the use the engine that they have mm. you know create a map and just chuck players into it and like whatever cash comes through that like is a win yeah, for them. Fair enough. it was very like it was a very cynical attempt at kind of um uh, trying to jump in on this um, open world sort of always online um, games as a service yeah. model because up until then you know Bethesda you know in 2016 Bethesda were marketing themselves as the champion of single player you know you had like Wolfenstein you had um, the Dishonored stuff yeah, coming Doom, through out of Arcane yeah. Studios you had you know Doom dropping out of ID they seem to have these big hitting like single player um, single player titles and they you know got a bit cheeky about it and mm. pointed fingers at EA and some of the other companies that were you know, um, you know, trying that like hit and miss approach with their online services, and they just started to jump on the bandwagon. And like, yeah. I think Bethesda's really done a lot of damage to their uh, to their brand in the last two years. Rage Two is an okay game. I, I think like like uh, id Software just they they did the brief, like mm. <laughs> they got the brief, <laughs> yeah. they did it, and like there it is. You know, um, but it it doesn't it doesn't really connect with a fan base in any kind of way. Yeah, you know. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I mean, you're talking about what better example do we have of, of out-of-touch developers than, um, you know, you mentioned Bethesda, but it can happen to even what you'd say are some of the most connected. And you use, for example, um, Blizzard, Activision, are, you want to say, some of the most connected. Like, they seem to listen to what people want. Blizzard um, historically have done so. Yes. Like, at and least so, they've got... a a long history and the only reason I kind of do that caveat beforehand is like that made the Diablo Immortal announcement even more out of left field yeah because when they announced at BlizzCon big Diablo announcement and people are going oh my god it's either Diablo 4 or probably more likely Diablo 2 reboot which yeah. everybody everybody's wanted. been on that everybody page. wanted like even before their D3 expansions people like D2 please like you know uh, come back to us because um, I think the only thing that, that Diablo 2, a lot of people said it's a superior game, it, it hasn't held up graphically. Yeah. Um, it's, I've, having played it in the, the build-up hype to Diablo 3, it didn't make it past the second act because like you can only look at your vomitous collection of pixels yeah. on your screen before you eventually like, it's, I'm not having fun, my eyes are hurting. Um, and so yeah, then they announced Diablo Immortal, which for those of you who don't remember, was essentially a... So how did the video play out? It was like this barbarian and this wizard, whatever, they're doing their thing and it's like, oh, it looks all epic and all that. And then it announced it's Diablo Immortal and people are like, oh, interesting. And then on the tagline underneath, it's like, um, it's just like I- mobile, yeah. iOS and Google Play oh, Store and whatever. And people are just like, like what? what? No Switch, no um, uh, uh, Sony logo, no Xbox logo, no PC, nothing. And people are like, nothing. it's a mobile game. And that was, was deep. Just, eh? It was just silence. That cut me deep, man. Because like I, a lot of, a big part of my uh, journey as a gamer started with uh, with Blizzard games. Mm. Started with yeah. Diablo One, Warcraft One and Two, yeah. Starcraft One and Two, 
um, uh, Diablo 2 and from there I mean I was in my, well into my teens and started yeah. branching out to other games um, you know Dota Warcraft 3 and all, but but really like Blizzard was, yeah, was a big one for yeah. me right like the characters the animation yeah. the art style like everything was just so great and um, Diablo 3 took 10 years to 10 years of development it took a long time mm-hmm. for that game to come out and it really didn't like hit the mark and I went through a lot of a lot of um, retouching. I went through different versions. They've gotten the game to a point now. Where I think it's good game, great yeah. game. Lots of people love it. Yeah. These players are. I, I think. Okay. So I think that this announcement is just such a prime example of a developer that, or at least a publisher that, is not um, communicating with or understanding their fan base at all. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm looking at the people in that audience. These are people who've probably been playing Diablo for the last like yeah, 15 years. Their entire lives, pretty 15, much. Yeah. On PC. Mm-hmm. You know, when when uh, when Brevik invented that game, you know, it was for PC mm-hmm. because, you know, we're PC players. Mm-hmm. At that point in time, in like the early yeah, cons- 90s... I mean, when they ported it to console, it was this big like, whoa, yeah. how? Like, yeah. Yeah, in the early 90s, I mean, consoles were like a lot more... Were a lot stronger you know you had your segas you had nintendos mm. you had a whole bunch of other consoles in between that could handle a lot more stuff graphically mm. um, computers were sort of getting there mm. um, and they wanted to bring it to computer to a computer player base and um you know it just it just i felt the sting man i felt oh, yeah. the sting yeah i think for me it was it just not like one of those uh, decisions where you go instead of going cool you know what people want a diablo 4 let's make that do you know what people want a Diablo 2 reboot let's make that what they did is they sent instead feels like they went do you know what's really strong at the moment mobile gaming mm. yeah we should get in that oh we've got Hearthstone yeah but uh, we, we kind of dominate the mobile card game space we need to get in kind of a more like action based game okay cool should we invent a new IP oh that's difficult let's go with one of our strongest which one would be able to go there the easiest well we've already ported Diablo to the Switch we should be able to do the same thing oh you're talking about taking Diablo 3 onto mobile no 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 I think we should do a new game using Diablo franchise onto mobile using the mobile software that we've got already embedded into exactly. the into the game engine no one is asking for this and not mobile players going oh my word give us a Diablo it's so it's it's a marketing team going we need a game that will penetrate the mobile market yeah. allowing people to you know use microtransactions or whatever uh, in the kind of to be able to play our games on their on their phone and and it just doesn't feel like um, I mean I remember a a conversation that came out the initial I'm sorry I'm trying to remember this because it came out almost <laughs> yeah, a year yeah, ago yeah. now like and one of the developers from Diablo 2 was saying that the company has changed so completely because at one stage it was David Brevik yeah. was it was yeah. he was saying how um, when he was there if any everyone there was a designer and also and a, a gamer. gamer and so whenever there were ideas whatever or stupid ideas they would sit outside his door and he suddenly walked out they go hey we want to talk to you about this we don't think this is really going to work or it's a good idea whatever and they'd sit and have a power and explain why or he'd take on the information yeah he said if they had besides the fact that they would never have gotten to launching the idea because it would have been shut down he would have had a no one working because everyone would be sitting outside his office waiting to talk to him yeah but also you'd have to ignore like a hundred people all saying this is not a good idea we should not be doing this yeah. um, I mean he's not with that studio anymore but it's a it's just it shows how the company's kind of moved away yeah, from being like gamer led towards like what's going to make the most money. But I mean, also last year there were there were a string of um, of uh, articles and reports coming out of sort of high level um, 
high level blizzard um, employees on the exco level kind of getting getting uh, strong arms sort of out of oh, the, yeah. out of the company out of the company yeah so I, th- I think a lot of it is mostly just Activision now oh, okay and I don't think there's a lot of original um, blizzard blizzard people uh, in yeah, there blizzard on on exco level um, yeah that's sad man look from from a business perspective like it makes sense yeah. like you can see where the logic like lies yeah. you know they went with it they're doing it they announced it it's it's happening yeah. Um, but at the same time, there was no one in that room who said, "Okay, out of all of the franchises or all of the the, the, the IPs we have, Diablo probably goes the deepest because it's one of the first games that actually got um, David Brebeck his, his own company. Um, it got them bought by mm, Blizzard. Okay. So Blizzard was a couple of guys. David Brebeck has owned. I forget the name of his original company, but they bought them based on that game Diablo One that he was making. Yeah, it was the first game he they, he ever made in like C. Okay, in, in C plus. Yeah, so he like literally learned like taught himself C to like write that. To write, write the, write game. the game. Yeah. So um, so that was kind of like the foundation on which uh, Blizzard then grew like a bigger portfolio of mm. games that eventually got them this merger with with Activision, Activision, you know, yeah. later on down the line. So it really speaks to the core of like the Blizzard pa- player. Mm. Also like goes right back to the start of their history as, you know, one of the most popular and prolific developers. Yeah. Um, so for me, Diablo is sacred. You know, if you want to touch it, you got to really be sure that you're, you're making the right moves of it mm. because like you're just alienating people who've been with you for so long. Yeah. Uh, and I, I guess it's difficult because you, you also want to push that boundary between you can't always give people what they want. They want yeah. Sometimes you've got to give them what they don't know they want yet. Yes. I mean, for example, let's take Battle Royals, for example. Did people know that they wanted Battle Royals? Now we're at the stage <laughs> yeah. where, where every developer is going, how do we squeeze Battle Royale into our game? In the same way, how do we squeeze open world into our game? But for a long time, there were developers taking the risk and going, I mean, when PUBG came out, it's not like there was this massive demand for Battle no, Royale games. It's right. just like, it decided that, you know what, this is just, it's where we are at the moment. We want this kind of like super social, almost games as a service type game where it's... it's Quick uh, repetitive yeah, scenario that's engaging. People don't want pay to win. They want, they'll pay for cosmetics. They don't want asymmetry. Um, and we've seen, for example, in the same way those have grown, we've seen the death of like the arena shooter. Like that's why... A, Quake Arena or Quake Champions, whatever, like doesn't survive. It's why yeah, there are no arena anymore. shooters anymore. One v one, go into like what Quake uh, Three used to be. Like they're none of those games anymore because mm. they. It's not like the, gaming is at the moment. The That's arena, why RTS is struggling. People don't want yeah. to play RTS; they want to play MOBAs. I guess the arena, um, the arena shooter, sort of like, um, I guess evolved into either the the hero team shooter like you have your team fortress or your, your overwatch or your yeah. overwatch and then i guess battle royale yeah you know which is more of a solo experience yeah but um but yeah the, the original arena shooter like unreal unreal tournaments like it just doesn't exist anymore yeah. quake 3 and why like arena because there's no demand for it people don't people don't want deathmatch man they don't want those games deathmatch um yeah so it's it's difficult to be able to keep um I suppose in touch with what people people want and i mean a classic example as well is like um we were chatting beforehand with steam mm. you know people want supposedly half-life 3 and you go cool if they brought it up people are like yes finally valve listening to what people want i don't think half-life 3 would do, do particularly well why because first person story based shooters are not in vogue at the moment like yeah. we've almost like passed that stage um, you were using, you know, using Crackdown as an example earlier. It's a case of going, people don't want Crackdown. 
And yeah. so as much as people want Half-Life, they, they don't want what Half-Life... No, Half-Life would have to be, you know, a like game of the year. Well, no, I'm saying Half-Life has to be a continuation of what Half-Life has been. Yes. Otherwise, people go, it's not Half-Life. Yeah. So you make it what it, it should be, which is a story-based, you know, um, maybe episodic, but a story-based first-person shooter. And people are going, yeah, cool, it's a good game, well done, and thanks, it's finally out. A, we'll never live Sci-fi up to... Sci-fi survival we'll horror? Never live up to the hype. Yeah. Secondly, it's um, it's it's kind of past its sell-by date in terms of what um, the market is, is wanting from yeah. games. And from Steam's point of view, the risk is just not worth it. Yeah. I mean, let's be honest, they, they're just printing money with other people's games. Why would, yeah, you, risk, why would you risk creating yeah. your own game? Like, I mean, so, yeah, no, Steam's an interesting example because they were, you know, quite a big prolific developer at one point, mm-hmm. right? Um, they sort of took over the market with, um, yeah, with, with Counter-Strike, Strike Source, and, and I guess, yeah, now... Team Fortress. Uh, yeah, Team Fortress, Dota 2 mm-hmm. in like about 20, 2011, 2012. was sort of the last, um, like, game that they yeah, I think, developed themselves. Yeah, I think Dota 2 is pretty much the last game that in CSGO that they're still... Hmm. Developing. And now their product, I guess, is their storefront. Yeah, and, pretty much. And that's kind of what they're putting in. So I guess it would be like a huge risk. I mean, they definitely have the money to put it into yeah, to yeah. game development. But I guess they're taking that money and putting it into things like their, um, you know, like the the international or yeah, like yeah. their like big the events, esports, like yeah, crazy yeah. huge esports events. And that's kind of where a lot of their margins going to. Well, it might um, be also them deciding where really is. You know, people can say what they want but their wallets show a different story sometimes. Exactly. And I think that sometimes puts um, pay to the backlash that Blizzard are experiencing with Diablo Immortal. Is you going, yes, you guys are saying that you want a D2 remake, but when we look at the sales, they're garbage. You know, it hasn't happened, but like, yeah. they're not gonna be amazing. It's not gonna be, it's not gonna blow the, the lights out. It's like, yeah. and you guys, you say you want X, Y, Z, it changes Diablo 3, but like, look at our player base. But then we look at the mobile stuff we're not in, and your wallets are saying a completely different story. Yeah. Like, remember, this is still the same guys that Activision own King, who own Candy Crush. Yes. So like exactly. they've got a lot of data in terms of mobile games. Yeah, they do. And, they do. They definitely. And so they know what they're talking about. Yeah. But it just feels like one of those going. They might. They maybe just didn't do it in a nuanced and caring way to like protect yeah. the Diablo brand. It felt like we're shoving this brand that you love into a space that. Hardcore gamers traditionally are like, oh god, you're gonna ruin it. And it's gonna be cheap and it's gonna be nasty. And um, so maybe it's more of a subtlety thing. But um, you know, I, gamers are also fickle. hugely yeah, fickle yeah. and <laughs> you know, uh, contradictory and hypercritical. Like fickle, living from one Steam sale to the next, pretty much. But when it comes to yeah, I guess you, I think you raised like some really good points with Half Life Three. I was thinking, you know, how could it ever be like Half Life Three? How could it yeah. ever like live up to that name? I guess you could say, you know, a game like Prey could have been Half-Life 3 in a way. Yeah, very like, similar. You know, it's, it's a very similar thing. You have so Once many players. Experiments gone wrong. Yeah, yeah. playing in that space. Yeah. Um, I guess it's just not the right uh, the right space for it anymore. I, if Half-Life 3 had to come out, had to get developed, it would have to hit like a game of the year territory. It would have to hit God of War in terms of, you know, yeah. reimagining this franchise. Yeah, exactly. And like, that's possibly where Sony is doing the right thing when it comes to where they put their their money behind. Yeah. They're trying to be like the next game must be as groundbreaking as the one that comes after it, yeah. and just like completely blow people's hair because back. Because let's be honest, as much as people might have gone, you know what we want a God of War like God of War Three was. 
you know, hack and slash and epic, and it would have come out and people would have gone, wow, this is amazing. But it wouldn't have been the God of War we got, which was groundbreaking. Yeah. And I think we've got to the stage now where a lot of genres just die. And that's that's something we stop we need to stop fighting. You go like, think of the 90s. Games were just point and click adventures, man. Everything, yeah. everything was just the next best LucasArts type, you know, graphic um, uh, kind of uh, point and click adventure. Yeah. Those things are nice now, but they're not the, the massive sellers that they used to be. You know, as much as they try and, and recreate that sort of magic, they, they, that genre is kind of dead. Yeah. And so where games are at the moment are battle royales and MOBAs. Yeah. And from a shooting perspective, yeah, a battle royale trumps, which is why even your, your Call of Duty's release things like Black Ops and all that. And so it's, it's hard to, to listen to what people want sometimes when you look at the sales figures. And I, th- I think the key though is, uh, and I'm using an example like Resident Evil, certain niches um, exist for a reason. Yes. And so you, you go, for example, Resident Evil was what it was number one, two, three, four, it started to touch on this um, action train. So it's a survival horror, but it's still, yeah. it had a little bit more action and did phenomenally. But then what happened is, I mean, this was in the stage when you want to say like games like Call of Duty, Gear of War, Gears of War were just like killing it. It's like yeah. action yeah, games, which is what everybody wanted. Uh, you know, kind of over the shoulder, you know, action games. And so you go, all of a sudden Resident Evil 5, 6, 0, and they're just so bad mm. because they're taking that survival horror concept and trying to be an action movie and so yeah. it stops being a survival horror because all of a sudden you're this macho dude with so many you know so much ammo and so many guns and all so that guns. you're just not... mowing down waves and hordes of, exactly. of, of enemies and it's not the game that it should have been and so when they rebooted after i mean how many people were going please reboot or like not reboot like please go back to the basics yeah. please go back to... and <laughs> yes. so with when they went to Bios- uh what uh, biohazard 7 or resident yes. evil 7 it was, um, it was the, the reboot. It was like a return it, to the the horror survival roots. Yeah, it's a return to the, the first DNA. Time it was first person shooter, but the, the, like like you said, it was back to the DNA of what the, the DNA game of is. the game and what kind of made it stand tall, like in its niche. And I think now more than ever, with so many so many huge budget games out there in the AAA space, you know, we're finding so much overlap in terms of you know battle royales, open worlds, mm. action games. You know, going back a bit, um, like. I feel that the games that hit their own niche right are the ones that are actually successful. Yeah. You know, looking at uh, Sekiro, for instance, you know, it's not a game for everyone. It's definitely a From game. You know, yeah. it's definitely a From software game, and that's what people love about it. Yeah. I have no doubt that the next, um, the next Resident Evil that they bring out will hit those same marks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I'm on board already for for you know whatever Capcom wants to put out. You know, in that in that space because they've shown us that. You know, they're not a course correct yeah, in terms yeah. of you know the the DNA of the actual IP that they mm. are working with. Yeah, it feels like the risk is that when you start listening only to what people are asking for, you get this homogenized, unsurprising. I mean, if, let's take for example um, what people want. We spoke about Game of Thrones when we started, and people are going generally disappointed with the ending. Um, but you kind of go, it's still an expected ending. It's not this yeah. big surprise. And I think it's like, at the end of the day, if you if you, if you bend over it or you like, um, uh, recipro- uh, 
I capitulate. Sorry. Okay. Word fell. Nice word. Capitulate. <laughs> oh, write that one down. <laughs> word of the day. You said three times in the sentence. Yeah. <laughs> if you capitulate to what people's demands are, yeah. you take like a Mass Effect 3 or now there's this um, this petition of almost like a million people having signed to change Game of Thrones. And you go, cool. Now, by committee, we're going to, ironically, by committee, we're going to decide the new ending of Game of Thrones. Yeah. And you're going like... What? So people are going to vote and yeah, we're doing focus groups and case studies and all that no, to decide exactly. what is the most likely popular ending for the, the show. Like it's some sort of choose your own adventure, but people vote on the <laughs> ending. Like, like that's not what people want, even no. though they say that's what they want. Exactly. It's difficult to trust the, um, to trust the fans at the same time. Yeah. You know, these are like um, million dollar IPs. Yeah. Uh, that potentially bring, bring in a lot of money for these companies. Um, same goes with Game of Thrones. Um, I think uh, like HBO has this on their hands now; they can take it where they need to. Yeah. It's done. It is what it is. But we've seen uh, movies, films written by the fans before. You know, you have um, studio interference, focus groups, mm-hmm. test audiences, and a lot of these, um, a lot of these films crash, and they can yeah. say like, "Well, but you the know, focus this, groups, this, the focus, you know, yeah. test the one focus groups," and so it really comes down to how well. A developer understands their brand and their IP and understands what that DNA is yeah. and why people connected to it in the first place. Yeah. And if you can bring that and update it in a way that speaks to where these players are now, you know, in uh, in their lives, like that's where you're going to win. Yeah. I think it also speaks to what we chatted about last week with the open world thing, where mm-hmm. you go, it needs to be that when you design your game, an open world is part of what your game is about. Not a case of going like, cool, I'm making this game and it's a puzzle sort of thing, whatever, and open worlds are really cool. So let's find a way to integrate open world hub and spoke kind of design into this. No, it's like, make your game what it is. Is open world a factor? Yes or no? It, it might not be that like, oh, it's going to be linear. It doesn't matter. It's mm. it's not a story-based game. It's a fucking puzzle um, game. It doesn't need to have a story. It doesn't have an open world, side questing, whatever. Solve puzzles. That's, that's what it is. And, and the mechanic is that the puzzles are... I don't know, you know, the, 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 every minute the, the puzzle changes and so you've got to solve it or worry that the rules change within a minute. Like, there's your concept, that's the entire yeah. game, run with it. And I think the key now is like the same with movies, music, whatever. It's about certain people are on the pulse. Yes. They know what the next big thing is. And so it's like, you take, for example, um, the Battle Royale movement, whatever. PUBG was not the first Battle Royale. Uh, They've been going for a long time. I mean, you've had H1Z1, you've had like a whole bunch of those sort of games kind of doing their thing, the King of the Hill. But it's like, it's about releasing one that ticks the right boxes at the time when people are obsessed with with, uh, Battle Royales. It's the same with Fortnite where they go, cool, they do their thing, they make their save the world, um, was like horde mode type thing. Those have also been around for a while. No one really jumped on. But when they jumped onto the Battle Royale thing, it was a case of going, making a cartoony, super accessible, friendly game. That's what people wanted it. Yeah. And so I think that's that's the key is like, sometimes it's a bit of copycatting. Sometimes it's about being original, but it's just about like that, that pulse, like being what people want at the right moment. So I think to sort of like round it off, um, looking at it, like let's say a great example of a developer that used to have their finger like on the pulse and they've really sort of like fell mm. off uh, to the wayside would be perhaps uh, Bioware. Yeah, you know, yeah, really um, I was example. huge fan of Bioware games. You know, for for the longest time, mm. you know, Dragon Age one, two, Mass Effect one, two, three, and 
it, it, it feels like, you know, we're looking at a game like Anthem, for instance, uh, coming out in the first quarter, just not really understanding what its DNA is. You know, what is this game? Where does it, where does it sit on the spectrum, you know? Is it a looter shooter? Is it an open world? Is it, you know, a multiplayer? Yeah. Is it a, you know, they, they couldn't identify what that game's DNA was, yeah. so they couldn't really create something that connected with people in the way that they wanted to. Yeah. So it kind of just floundered and, you know, had a foot in sort of every pie. Yeah. But not really having a no foothold. Foot, no one wants foot pie. <laughs> no, dude. No one wants anybody's foot in your pie. That's like, your world of Frey. Yeah. Sorry. Bad joke. <laughs> yeah, it's just, um, it feels like with that sort of stuff is you start focusing so much on your weaknesses. Yeah. So you're going like, oh, this, the story's a bit weak, this is a bit weak, whatever. And so you like work on getting everything being a little bit average mm. instead of going like, no, whatever, fuck the story or fuck the graphics or whatever because you yeah. know what the strength is and ours is the gameplay. Mm. And so we're just focusing on gameplay and making sure that that's the best thing, um, yeah. you know, rather than, than trying to be all things to all people. And at the end of the day, you just don't stand out. You know? yeah. I think that's where indie games do a really good job is they're going, we don't have the budget to be all things to everyone. Yes. So what we're going to do is just have one mechanic and we think people are going to dig it and you know, that's the thing. So if they do, they do. Yeah. So if I use a locally designed semblance by Nyamakorp, like yeah. the whole thing was like the, the mechanic it seems to be is that you actually can manipulate the platforms to solve the, the, the puzzles. Awesome. So instead of like the stage exists and you jump around avoiding stuff that still exists but you can manipulate the platform so bend them reshape them whatever that's a mechanic like cool let's make sure the graphics are cute and it plays well and all that sort of stuff and there's a bit of music in that but not trying to like there needs to be this massive story as well and there needs to be like what other else do games have oh, like a hub and spoke mission yeah. <laughs> so, oh we need to have that yeah. and it was just like cool let's work on our core mechanics yeah yeah and i mean i, I think you know looking at a developer like Bioware you know with them being in the public eye now this huge article coming out from Kotaku that just kind of exposes oh, yeah, all yeah, the yeah. mess of, of Anthem's development how are they going to course correct and find that sort of DNA and that identity of let's say Dragon Age going to Dragon Age 4 mm. in order to reconnect with an, a now estranged audience like I would consider myself an estranged fan you know someone who was deeply invested in the Mass Effect franchise yeah you know, really didn't yeah. Andromeda really didn't do anything for me and it's kind of been like one miss after another leading to where we are now where the developer really needs to like turn things around you know find out what that identity is you know yeah. what players enjoyed and connected with um, I, I don't think it needs to have uh, complicated systems it just needs to understand itself mm. and its own mm. world its lore its stories its characters understand itself so that it's easy for players to understand it and connect with it yeah you know yeah because i have to be honest i don't think gaming is in a good space at the moment yeah. like i think between um, unfinished games being released between microtransactions between games as a service I, it's difficult to find the the diamonds between all the rubble yeah. really at this point um and you gotta like pick and choose your battles you gotta research your you know the games you want to spend put your dollar behind yeah and there's so much competition in that space that you know, every developer is competing with with everyone else for our time, for our energy, and our and our money. Yeah. You know, we don't have all the money in the world no, to spend on yeah. to spend on these things. And it's also with the amount of releases nowadays. It's not a case of going. I think in the past, you could have gone with, you know, um, 
if you can save $60 a month, you can pretty much pl play all the games. Yeah. No, there's more than a game launching every month. I mean, I, I on Expresso last week finally reviewed an old game. We reviewed um, Celeste. Yes. Which came out obviously last year. Uh, maybe even early actually, and but it's an old game yeah, that I've wanted that I've wanted to let people know about because yeah, it's, it's, it's fantastic. It's a fantastic game. It's on special at the moment, so you should check it out if you haven't. Great game, but it's just been so busy. There's been a release every single week since January first till now, um, and that's just you. If you had to buy those games, it just this you spend too much money. It's become this crazy expensive hobby, and like, and there are certainly. Not all games are created equal. Like no. there are some absolute garbage games, but if you want to play them all, you're gonna to have to spend a lot of money to play them. Yeah. Spend a lot of money, man. That's cool. I think that's uh, pretty much everything. It's a yeah. it's a bit of a <laughs> I don't want to say a sad subject to talk about, like out of touch gamers, because I think in the same no. time, like we need to commend those that that have been, you know, kind of taking the risks and giving us what we want, even though we didn't didn't want it. We always speak highly of Santa Monica Studios. Yes. Uh, with the, um, the kind of re-evolution of, of um, God of War. Did you manage to check out that Raising Kratos? Yes, yes, uh, yes, I did. It was great. on my to-watch list. I'm definitely keen on, on watching that. Thoughts on it so, after having watched it? Um, I, I'm just enthralled by the story. Yeah. Like, you know, after playing the game again recently and now doing all the all the in-game stuff and watching that documentary is just so much more supplementary content that I was okay. like, I was ready for. I was keen for it. So it came at a good time. For me, sort of closing, um, I don't want to close on too bleak of a note. It's sort of like, oh, games are bad right yeah. now. Like, they're not. Like, games are great right now. Yeah. And, I, and I only think that, like, some, like, even better games are going to be coming out in the next couple months, particularly in 2019. For me, I think when a developer loses touch, it's an opportunity for them to, like, rediscover where their strengths are yeah. and push on those for the next game. So, so that we can get, like, another game of the year coming from some yeah. of our favorite developers. Like, I really hope that Bioware can give us a game of the year in the next in the next two years and really like put their foot down and you know rediscover what made their game special compared to the competition yeah i mean classic example then would be resident evil 7 yes was yeah. so good probably because zero and six were so bad yeah you know what i mean like i'm not saying it's like one of those well massive growth yeah. in quality compared to the previous one but they they had to get so bad to go if we continue this trend we will bankrupt this this yeah. business and so in that sense, Bethesda have had a couple of bad ones. BioWare have had a couple of absolute yeah. shockers. Uh, EA, a couple of really, really big misses. So, like, hoping that these studios can bounce back with some something some different. Heavy hitters, man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think really stand out from the crowd. It's a big crowd. So yeah. yeah. Um, cool. So uh, thanks again to those uh, who listen in and comment on social media. If you have anything you'd like us to talk about in particular, obviously we are scouring uh, the interwebs for cool stories and stuff to talk about, and we've got plenty of opinions. But if you'd like to share yours, please get in touch with us via Twitter at the Gareth Woods or Tim and a Fish uh, on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Otherwise, we'll see you next week. Ciao. The Gaming Guru Podcast. Easy the best gaming podcast in the world. Baby.